Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. You can have the most capable person, the most capable leader um, who has all the technical expertise, who can manage people really well, who um, has all the experience. And if they cannot engage, if they do not have a platform, if they can't be influential and persuasive, all of that stuff goes to waste. Those are the wise words of Sarah Anderson of Visibility Co. A short bit of housekeeping and then we'll get right back to Sarah. As always, we open proceedings with a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. A big welcome to our newest supporter, Lucia. Thanks for joining us last week. And a regular shout out to Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. Sounding a bit like the Smurfs family at this point. Your support is much appreciated and it helps us to keep posting up quality content each and every week. If you want to join our Patreon community and support the growth of Humans of Purpose, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humansofpurpose. For just $4 per month, you can help us grow the podcast and ensure its sustainability well into the future. You also get some amazing exclusive merch on sign up, which is valued at about five months of your support. Another way to support the show is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on wherever you listen to the podcast. This helps others find out about the show, and I always enjoy reading these out. A quick reminder that this is our last official podcast for 2019. I'll then be taking a well-earned break as my occasional co-host and wife, Louise, and I head overseas to Chile for some well-earned hiking and exploring nature time. We'll return for our first episode of 2020 on 7th of January. There's likely to be some bonus content during this time, so stay tuned. I'm feeling well inclined to drop a bonus episode recapping your favorite and my favorite podcasts of the year and some updates for what 2020 holds for Humans of Purpose in the next week or so. So make sure you stay subscribed and uh, keep those ears pricked up. Today I'm speaking to Sarah Anderson, who is director and co-founder at Visibility Co. Sarah is also part of Homeward Bound's leadership team. Homeward Bound is a groundbreaking leadership program turned global movement, aiming to heighten the influence and impact of women with a science and STEM background on policy and decision-making as it shapes our planet. The program includes taking the largest ever cohort of women to Antarctica. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah as much as I enjoyed making it. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. It's been a long journey from the north, but I'm yes. glad you're here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And you, you had a significantly large water bottle that wouldn't sustain you all the way, so <laughs> we needn't worry about that. That's it. I'm all sorted. Well, it's always and a, a pig. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, the incidental pig. The yes. mum moment. Yes. Pull a pig out of your bag instead of your mouth. The things kids do and where they hide things. <laughs> well, my dog goes berserk with his toy. Yeah. Um, wonderful to have you here. It's always fun to have people on the podcast who know of the podcast yes. and have heard of it before. And uh, when I reached out, you said you're a listener and that, that just makes me very happy to I kick think, off. Yes, I think a... Quite an early listener from when it first started. No, no, so. that, that actually mortified me. That, that made me far <laughs> less happy and far more concerned. Uh, yeah, we always feel a bit ashamed of those, those past early dark day moments. But well, you're still going, and many podcasts yeah. aren't after that amount of time. Yeah, so and the fact that you um, said yes and you attended, I think, is a really good sign. So anyway, enough about me. We're here. <laughs> We're here. I would love to hear a bit about uh, your journey. I've done a bit of research and sort of heard bits and bobs, but I'd love to hear in your own words a bit about your own experiences and how you got into the space you're in now? Sure. Um, Well, I think for most people, it probably started very early in my upbringing. Um, And so I grew up down the country, uh, country Victoria in Gippsland, um, where I was one of six. So I have four brothers and a sister and 30 something first cousins. Um, So really big family. And um, I think a lot of time to get lost when I was little and lots of time to 
entertain the what ifs and the whys of life and lots of time outside um, getting bored and having to be creative and make up um, a way to get through the day. And oddly enough, I think that's actually what has instilled in me the things that I do the best now, um, that asking the whys and, and the what ifs and um, coming up with a, you know, a strength in strategy and, and innovation, I think that came from those early days. But the other thing that that part of my life created was a huge sense of values. And I think in a big family you develop that and it's instilled in you quite easily. Um, but my family was certainly a community-based family. Um, we, you know, there was often hitchhikers in the car and people staying over at our house and lots of giving away of stuff that we didn't need anymore to other people and it was very much um, a sense of social justice from those early days that has flowed through into my life. Um, and, yeah, I think I think when I look back at my career and, and I can go through some of the detail of that, it's all been values-based judgments and decisions that have led me to doing what I do today. Um, and so I look at, you know, I did all the normal things and went to uni and, um I guess I've always had a balance between creative interest and creative thinking and then communications and how we actually take that out and engage with the world. So I I did a Bachelor of Arts at Melbourne University focused on English, so communications on the one hand and then art history on the other. And all the while was working in corporates while I was going through my studies. So I uh, started off very early working for ANZ Bank um, and then worked in government and lived overseas for a long time um, in London working in Fortune 500 companies and um, and then coming back and working in not-for-profits and just really exploring lots of different areas. But all that time I was working across a breadth of communications, marketing, brand, um, mentoring and coaching CEOs and leaders around how they actually engage with the world and how they put themselves out there. Uh, and I found that, you know, a lot of my on-the-job training around how to engage with the world and how to communicate really didn't gel with me. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, back in the dark days of PR, um, you know, a lot of it was about packaging up the best pieces of what a company's about and what it stands for and make push polishing it and putting it out into the world coming from one spokesperson and where one person speaks for everyone and the things that are not so great get pushed under the carpet and and lots of things happen to them um and yeah that's really there wasn't there were silent organizations for the majority of people that worked in them and not always a great connection to what the organization was about and how they put themselves out there and so when I look back and why I felt incongruent in a lot of parts of my career development was really from that place of values. Um, you know, one person speaking for everyone, not having a voice, uh, that didn't gel with me. Uh, my top value is authenticity. My second top value is courage. My third is fairness. So you can see how they were really squashed when it came to um, a lot of the work that I was doing. But that said, it was incredible experience. I was able to um, develop all kinds of skills in how people engage with ideas effectively and how you get them out there and how you get people on board um, with an idea and create movement around that idea. Uh, but then there was a big turning point for me in my career when social and digital media started to take off. Effectively, the values of the social web are inclusivity, openness, mm. everyone having a platform and a voice. Um, and suddenly I went, hey, that feels a lot like me. That feels a lot more like what I'm passionate about. So when I was in London and that was all happening and it was, you know, the global financial crisis and lots of turmoil, that felt like, like a very bright light in a dark area. And so I jumped on bandwagon as a very early adopter and started seeing that that could be a pathway to creating cultural transformation and change within organisations from a place of values. Mm. Um, and so, you know, suddenly 
you could one day be asking your boss for permission of can I have a voice and put a quote in that press release and have a say and, and gain some um, some visibility for my expertise. The next, you could create a Twitter platform of your own and not have asked, have to ask for permission and be have a platform for talking about your own expertise and what it was um, that you're passionate about and integrating that with who you are as a person, as an identity, not just a, a biography and, and your career trajectory. And I found that incredibly empowering, not just for every individual and opening up organisations um, to the power of all the people within that organisation, um, but specifically around uh, women in leadership, which is where I developed a passion for women in leadership um, and the the opportunities and, and the problems and the needs there as well because I found that social and digital media gave women leaders a platform where they didn't necessarily have one before because it was able to be self-governed um, without permission. So... Um, that that whole journey into social and digital transformation uh, saw me taking up a, a role, heading up social and digital communications at ANZ Bank and founding a, a program with Amanda Gome, who's an amazing leader and, and mentor of mine to this day, um, the Notable Women program at ANZ. And that was really another amazing step in seeing that um, visibility and the skills around visibility and being visible in the world could really be a secret weapon weapon that could get people into leadership in a way that I hadn't seen other things do. And suddenly in ANZ we saw women uh, going from mid-level roles into positions of leadership just by giving them training around the raw skills of visibility, uh, the mindset around being a visible leader and also giving them one another and giving them a network. Um, and so that's really, you know, that that changed my view of um, being able to do communications and visibility differently in a way which really accelerated change for good. And that's um, how I came to found my own company with um, my best friend and next door neighbour and business partner, Julia May, um, Visibility Co, which is the company that we, we run now. But it's really more of the Co and Visibility Co stands for collective, not company, uh, because we are a network and a concept uh, of amazing people who are trying to create change by empowering people to lead visibly in their lives in whatever area of their lives um, requires that and that can be professional, it can be personal, it can be around a big social issue or something that they're trying to create change around. Um, and so we're using that concept and methodology to really back movements that are going to change the world uh, and creating movements, whether that's inside as an individual or out into the world in, in big issues of impact um, such as health and sustainability, uh, human rights and, and leadership, particularly women in leadership. That's a fascinating introduction. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions. The first one might be not not such an obvious one but it was on my mind. Were you neighbours first or co-founders first? <laughs> we were co-founders first yep. but we, Julia and I actually met 20 years ago living on campus at Melbourne University. That's amazing. Yeah, and we weren't friends really at that time much. We had some, some common friends uh, but it was actually when we both moved to London about 10 years ago or maybe more than that, 20, 12 years ago um, and we're both in the situation where you don't have your family or, or the rest of your friends around, so your new friends become your family and everything. And uh, a few of a small group of us became very tight, like family, living there and doing all the things you do, travelling, studying, being in a global financial crisis and trying to make your way <laughs> as an Aussie in London um, and had an absolute ball. And in doing so, just launched lots of creative side projects and side hustles together. So we um, we wrote a blog together there um, really based on inspiring change. Um, and then we run we ran an underground dining supper club for a while. Really? Um, integrating kind of amazing food with interesting conversations and bringing unlikely groups of people together to do that. Um, and we used to have these 
sessions maybe once or twice a year where we'd get together and we'd say, okay, what are we going to do with our lives? You know, we've got all these different things on the go. She was a journalist. I was in communications. We're doing all this fun, creative stuff. And so we'd have, we'd go to a cafe and have a, a bit of a um, goal setting kind of day. And then at the end of it, we'd say, well, that's hilarious. That's never going to happen. And then we'd walk <laughs> off and come back six months later and say, how did you go with all of that? But there was this one time when we'd both moved back to Australia a few years ago where we thought, what if, you know, because this, this stuff that we were doing when we were coming together of creating plans around our lives and setting big visions for ourselves and exploring and experiments and throwing around ideas about what we could actually do with ourselves we thought what if we could bring these things together what if we could do communication strategy and personal strategy life strategy um, with business strategy and kind of commercial thinking as well into one thing it's very holistic right so yeah. you know instead of separating the life and work and maybe that's a bit of a um you know, reflection on the changing times, you know, work and life pretty much became the same thing uh, yes. for most of us yeah. a little while ago. As you sh- as they should yeah. and because we are one person that yeah. operates in lots of different contexts uh, and I think what we see a lot of is if, if you do compartmentalise yourself from a work environment to home to, you know, community environments where, where you operate, um, often people do feel really incongruent yeah, and they I, do feel inauthentic. Out of sync and yeah. just a little bit um, discombobulated. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And that inhibits someone's ability to have impact in the world ultimately. I quite like it when people say things like, um, I like working here because I can bring my whole self to work. Yeah. But then sometimes I think, does that mean you're bringing your whole work home? Yes. As well? <laughs> does like, it go the other way? Yeah, does it also well? run yep. the other way? And yep. maybe um, for people where it does and it go the other way, that they kind of choose that and they enjoy doing that. So that's not an issue. But yep. the whole, um, is it life and work or is it both together? I think is a fascinating yep. sort of thought. Well, it's, I mean, it's at the heart of, of, how we try to support leaders uh, and and movement makers because, um, you know, at one of the central tools that we use is a an integrated strategy map where you look at you for yourself, uh, you in your relationships, you at work, you in your your outward visibility and profile, and you look at what you want to aspire to in each of those areas and what the key priorities are in, but how they interact with one another and how they affect one another. Because ultimately, if there's a problem, a big problem for you at home, the reality is it's going to be affecting how you are at work. Yep. The reality is it's going to be affecting how you are in other relationships and out in the community. Um, and so it's it's crazy in my view that you don't, that, that anyone approaches how they want to lead in their lives without looking at all of those different areas and and the interactions between one another. Great point. How did you arrive at the name visibility? Because you named your top couple of values. Yep. Uh, visibility wasn't in there. I'm not sure if that yeah. is a value. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a good question. I don't think anyone's asked me about before. Yeah, I'm curious. So, so yeah. what, what does it mean to you? I mean, visibility means seeing and being seen. It means first and foremost being seen Um, being visible to yourself Uh, and we come at visibility from the position of there being three pillars which is visibility to self Uh, you cannot be out in the world authentic in your own um, the way that you interact with the world if you don't see who you are if you don't understand your drivers if you're not self-aware if you don't have a sense of personal purpose personal vision Uh, personal values and so that's really for most people that we work with where most of the work is Mm. in understanding that yeah and then moving only then from that place to the second pillar which is visibility to others Um, and then you'll find that that becomes a whole more uh, holistic and congruent when you can come from that place and most people don't then have the same issues with what what are probably the most more traditional ways of, of seeing visibility of having a platform interacting with other people uh, marketing social media all of those visibility to others areas they can go into it a lot more easily and with flow when they've done the work on themselves 100 percent, i can attest yep. to that i've never done coaching before maybe it's a good time to kind of enter that um fray uh but the one time i did it was before a job interview and i just thought 
it was so interesting starting to work with things like, you know, what are your top three values or priorities and, you know, yeah. what is your personal purpose? Yeah. Because I think if, if we had to ask a random sample of people around our, our ages, you know, what is your purpose statement or what is your vision or yeah. your mission statement, people would just be like, what the hell are you talking yes. about? Yeah. Um, get that new age crap away from yeah. me. <laughs> so but well, it was so funny. helpful. I think, I think that um, if you said it in that way, mm. A lot of people would, but I think in their own way, a lot of people can actually articulate what drives them and what their purpose yeah. is. I think in our day and age, just the word purpose and, and values and vision are thrown around um, yeah. in a way which is given maybe some, some meaning out of context. But people right, so you think it does You think there's a that. bias against that terminology where people don't sort of bring their best self to that? challenge yeah or that it's off-putting because yep. it's been overused yep. or they've heard it in a corporate environment yep. where it hasn't actually been lived or or congruent so they they have an aversion to it but in fact if you ask them in lay person's terms what really drove them mm. and what's most meaningful to them they would have a better ability to articulate that. i think i think people have a problem at doing the self-work when it comes to um values and you know purpose uh, personal purpose and like vision uh where it's not attached to a specific outcome yeah so it's, it's a lot yeah. easier for people to go to that step three and say oh yes. how, do, how do we want others to see me because of social media and because of things like linkedin and cvs and all this crap yeah um you know people are happy to do the window dressing but maybe not the kind of the bottom third of the the bottom two thirds of the iceberg. Yes, yeah, but I think the reality that that we see when we're working with people is that by the time they come and speak to us, they have reached a pain point about something. Yep. Of I, you know, I want to. I've got this big idea inside me that I really need to get out into the world. I don't know how to do it. Um, I think I've kind of got all the pieces, but I don't know how to artic- articulate that. Um, so by the time that they've got that itch, they're ready to go into yes I want I want a statement that just articulates what the future looks like for me and comes from my heart and and drives me and I can put it up on the wall and I look at it every day and it motivates me and and that's what I want to do Um, but sometimes you have to reach that point where you know I don't care what label you give it or what what I do I've just got to get this um, this idea out but but it can also work threshold way let's just say threshold yeah yeah um, in the sense that with, you know, kind of circling back a little bit to to the word visibility and coming to that, um, there's a few phrases that, that are really appealing and um, communicate some, some of the pitfalls of visibility really well as well. And one of the ones we use all the time is visibility without, val- van- without value is vanity. Yes. Because often it is that that vanity bit that scratches the itch for people of, well, I want to, um, you know, well, I, I need to launch myself yeah. on this social media platform because that's where I've got to be and that's what yeah. other people are doing and that kind of thing. Which is really the, um, the McDonald's or Hungry Jacks of the internet, that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like uh, maximum flavour, no substance yes, at all. Empty absolutely, calories. yeah. But if you, if you come, um, you know, often that is what – what brings people a pain point around that or a competitive point that comes to it, but actually then showing them that exploring the why beneath yeah. the visibility and understanding what is it that's actually So have you had you? that happen before where, you know, you know, a lot of clients will come in and you'll yeah. have a look at what they're doing on their social and whatnot and it's sort of about what is the why behind this and yes. what are we trying to portray and what does this tell us about ourselves and how we see ourselves? Definitely. Um, I think – and. Yeah, so we, we would have someone come to us and say, um, I want to increase my Instagram following from 1,000 to 100,000 in, in the next year and um, the, the art is in fleshing out what's really driving that for you and Visibility Co, our purpose is elevate others to elevate others. So effectively, if if someone's not interested in elevating bigger issues in the world, elevating people so that they can have an impact in the world, that's not the right fit for us. Um, so, but often what we do find is even if someone does come to us and say, my my driver is increasing my Instagram followers up to a million people or whatever it is, um, 
often they are being driven by something much greater and much deeper. It's just about teasing that out and, and allowing not just us to see what that is, but allowing them to see what it is and see what um, what's driving them. And that that can be an amazing process of discovery that allows them to find their bigger purpose mm. that leads to amazing things in the world, um, even if it started from that place of seeming like, a, like it was about vanity. You are a very good communicator. You speak really well. Have you always been in love with ideas? Absolutely. I think that's my my number one love in life, I would say, and probably um, the role that that I play and, and that we play a lot of the time for people is to um, be a wayfinder and a strategic wayfinder of being able to take ideas and form them into something which looks like a plan that is doable in the world. And I think that's why I'm most passionate about visibility is not that it's about being seen, it's about activating an idea and getting it into the world and creating a strategy around it that is actually going to create impact um, and that, that that comes often from being able to see ideas before other people can and that's one of my favourite places to play and, and throw around and, and we often talk about like when someone's talking in front of me, I can see the idea literally bubbling out of their head. I can see it as a strategy. I can mm. see it all. Um, and, yeah, that's my favourite, favourite thing to do. So you're telling me you know what question I'm going to ask you before I ask it? <laughs> I was pointing above <laughs> your head then and, you know, gesticulating wildly, wasn't I? I just want to be sure whether I'm being telegraphed or not. So, you know, just want to ask original questions. Um, but communication, I, I suppose, is such a, a powerful medium. I, mean, I guess as humans that is the one thing that has enabled us to really evolve communication in groups. So when did you fall in love with communication as sort of being the way to deploy those ideas? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think... In a big family, you got to speak up to be heard. And I was the eldest girl in our family. And I think I often played the role of the one that had the hard conversations. Of, you, you go and talk to mum about that thing. Yeah, the tribal leader speaking to the warlord about yes. the, uh, <laughs> the affairs of the village. Yeah. Uh, and I think after, you know, however many thousands of practices at bold conversations and courageous conversations that uh, where you were representing the voices of other people and um, you had a stake in it and skin in the game, whether it was a week do we get to stay up late tonight and eat chocolate or, um, you know, what's the policy on bringing your boyfriend home. Um, <laughs> that Yeah, that was a, a good training round for that. Uh, but I think I was also just really passionate about words from the beginning. I used to write my own poetry from when I was really young. Um, I used to... Um, write songs and be in a band and I think that's that was part of it as well of just the art form of words and what communication could do as an art form so that was a, a big stem for it as well and um so where you go with that next you, you've got the love of communication you, you've also I suppose what's interesting worked in a number of different fields mm. so it's it's a bit to me like you want to understand the whole world and you know all the different ways of doing things. Yeah, and I, th I mean, I think that that comes from someone who's um, when you're an ideas person, you like to work in lots of different spaces and be kept on your toes. So yeah. you know, whether when it was walking around and going through different types of organisations, whether it was government or not for, for, for profit or um They should change that word, by the way, not for profit. Yeah, it's a bit NF, too muddled. NFP, that NFP, might be a bit easier. For-purpose organisation, yeah. <laughs> for-purpose, I like that better. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to be kept on your toes and you want to be exposed to new things and I find that's the same with the work that I do now, working with different leaders and movements you get to constantly try your hand as an innovator in different spaces all the time. But I think the thing about communications and the role of communications in that and why I'm so passionate about it is that from what I've seen in, in lots of different companies and contexts, you can have the most capable person, the most capable leader um, who has all the technical expertise, who can manage people really well, who um, has all the experience. And if they cannot engage, if they do not have a platform, if they can't be influential and persuasive, 
all of that stuff goes to waste. Yep. And so a, a moment comes to mind when I say that of uh, a few years ago when uh, I had just taken the big leap from corporate into launching my own company um, and I was Julia and I were very much in the stages of conjuring what what visibility was all about at that point in time and um, we Julia was working for um, Fabian Datner at the time who is an entrepreneur from Melbourne and a leadership activist and um, I was doing some work for her company as well and she dreamt up an idea called Homeward Bound, which is now um, a global movement and leadership program for women in STEM. And at the time, she had founded it with key three key streams, which were leadership, strategy and science. And the idea was that every year for 10 years, we would put um, 100 women from STEM backgrounds from all over the world through a leadership program. And the three last three weeks of that leadership program would be in Antarctica on an immersive um, voyage to really top off that leadership experience and um, form their resolve. And at the time, Julia and I were thinking the same thing and going, well, you can give them all of those skills, but if they don't have a platform as leaders at the end of that, that might all be moot and not go anywhere. So we took the the bold step of pitching a fourth stream for the program, the visibility stream to Fabian, uh, which she wholeheartedly agreed with and and took up. Um, and now that is, that is what the program Homeward Bound is about and it's really gone from uh, being an, a, literal, a literal dream of Fabian's uh, back in 2015 to now we have um, almost 500 women from across the world from 55 countries um, who have been through the program and the fourth cohort is actually in Antarctica as we speak having wow. just arrived 24 hours ago I think on the ship down there uh, having met, met each, each other for the first time uh, in the, at the bottom of Argentina and they are currently having the most amazing time of their lives. We've just been seeing Twitter and the socials light up with pictures of penguins and, and whales. And, um, so they've got Wi-Fi on the ship or? Not the very station? much. Yep. Uh, I think there's, there's limited coverage, which is one of the incredible benefits of going on yep. that voyage, that you are cut off from the world mostly. You have it's immersive. It's completely immersive. Yeah. You're in one of the rem- most remote parts of the world, yeah. with mostly people you've never met before, and it's just you and your learning and the incredible environment that is Antarctica. Um, so Julia and I alternate each year, going each year to Antarctica, and, and Julia's there at the moment. Uh, Are you sad to not be there? I've got a huge dose of FOMO, I will say. It's it's pretty hard. It is I went last year and it's one of the most incredible places and experiences uh, you can ever have in your life. So there's there's not a year that goes by of homeward bound where you don't just wish you're on that ship every single time, but it's also a huge um uh time out of your life if you've got children and businesses to run. And, it sounds like a fair people. commitment. Yeah. Is it are there similar, comparably remote places in the world or unique places in the world that you've been to before? Ah, uh, that I've been to. Um, I think maybe the Amazon. That was incredible in different ways. I think, I mean, nothing that I have experienced compares to Antarctica for a lot of different reasons. It's incredibly otherworldly. You feel like you are in on the moon and somewhere that you've never been before and it's not what you expect everyone thinks that you go there and it's just all white and it's snow and um, nothing much else but when you're on that ship you go to a different place in Antarctica every single day and one day you are on you know a a pebbled beach sitting next to a big seal the next you are going um, into a volcano, an inactive volcano. The next you are in hot springs. Um, there's hot springs in Antarctica? Yeah, there's hot springs. Oh. Went, went swimming twice in Antarctica, if you can imagine it, two polar plunges. Um, big black mountains with no snow on them. And then the next day in summer when we're there, big snowy mountains that are covered in algae, which has turned them pink or green. And it's quite the diverse place. Um and that's just the way that it looks. But on the other hand, 
I'll never, ever forget the time that I first landed on the Antarctic Peninsula, our first landing, and got off the ship, landed, and for the first time in my life, I was in an environment where I was completely the alien, and there were these penguins and seals around us and because of course you can't hunt in antarctica they're not scared of you they're just interacting with you like oh, you're another really cool. animal yep. and you suddenly have this i had a huge moment a huge dawning i get goosebumps and, and start crying when i think about it and i actually i have tissues recorded a, a voice memo on my phone at that moment because yeah. it was such a striking moment of just saying i'm just another animal on this planet sitting next to these and they cannot do anything about what is happening to our world and what we're doing to their environment, but I can. And suddenly the weight of responsibility of what it actually means to be a leader in this time dawned on me and it has never, never left me since then of, you know, it's not just for me or our families or anyone who's going to experience the downsides of what's happening to our planet. It is all of those species that can't do anything about it, um, and we can. So that was my um, my dark day of the soul in Antarctica that really changed everything for me about what it means to lead in a time where leadership is in crisis and our climate is in crisis and um, Homeward Bound's proposition and, and solution to that is women leading might be the most sustainable proposition in terms of saving our world because women naturally bring the types of leadership qualities that our world most needs at this point in time. Yes, I totally are, agree. Yeah, a legacy mindset, yeah. collaborative, trusted with assets. All you have to do is um, look at, you know, the, the behaviour of um, people who hit a windfall in poverty and, they're like, you know, they get a man gets a few hundred dollars and he'll go out and drink it away and gamble it away. You do the same for... A woman in the same situation, she'll use it to start a business or on her family to yep. you know, build capacity. So yep. definitely some of those qualities are much needed. I think I have to ask the obvious question. I mean, as, as a man and as the partner of someone in STEM who's mm -hmm. in medicine and, you know, as an admirer of female leadership, you know, what, what more can we be doing? Because I think if we were doing enough, um, things would be a lot more, mm. I don't want to say, uh, I want to choose my words well here, equal, um, or equitable in how things look and are in reality and they're not um so we're not doing enough how, how can we be supportive um men and partners what do you feel like you do already well i think i um try and um enable all opportunities for you know pursuance of uh career and uh career learning opportunities but that's maybe not to say that i wouldn't do that for any other gendered member of the family so mm -hmm. Maybe that's a bad example. I think I think be supportive. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of your work is in helping people understand how they are seen by others and by themselves. I think maybe to show, um, you know, a partner that they really are incredible and a great leader already mm -hmm. and, like, give them examples of that to help them understand that. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's many, many things uh, that we can be doing and that – Ultimately, the aim is men and men and women leading together. That's what we're all hoping for and aiming for. And even though the pendulum swings back and forth to the place where we end up in that position of, of equilibrium, ultimately and hopefully, um, at the moment, it's really important that men and women understand the facts of where things are right now and where that pendulum is right now. Mm. Um, with Homeward Bound, we've we've just recently released um, the top 25 facts of what is actually holding women back and some of the systemic barriers. Um, even if you develop the greatest leadership capability of any women leaders ever, they're still ultimately put back into an environment where these barriers exist. So men being able to familiarise themselves with what the facts are and what's getting in the way is a great way of starting. Yeah. So there's a, a fact sheet on the Homebound website around that, which is really helpful. That's specific to women in STEM, but they're mostly facts that inhibit all women. Um, and then I think just being curious and having dialogue around it is the most important thing so that when you see things that you think aren't fair or are not working or where you see women struggling with the opportunity that you engage with that 
and open yourself up to what that might feel like as a woman, uh, but also asking the question like that you just asked to me, asking other women that, like, what can I do to help actually mm. what would help you feel more supported? Um, and I think, you know, one of the uh, the strengths of men um, of coming up with solutions and solving problems can sometimes be a hindrance in that space of feeling like you have to solve it, where sometimes it's more about holding space for a woman well, to solve I, I it think, themselves. I think women are inherently better at holding space as well. So it's another challenge for us to also like hold a space and not act. Yeah, what a great challenge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just learning how to hold space and interact at the right time and skillfully intervene. Yeah. But also um, I think what I did mention before is listening a lot. I do a lot of listening yeah. Um, yeah. and I think you're a podcast host. <laughs> that's true, but I, I mean in the personal life too. Uh, when there are problems that come up, you know, listen and just keep listening. And um, you know, the podcast gives me a way that I can take some action. I mean, I do try and have as many inspiring uh, women and female leaders on as possible because I think uh, that's a platform that's just needed. We just need yeah. more of that. There's yeah. not enough of that, um, and that's not to say that um, you know. Uh, I'm choosing women because they're any more capable than men, but it's just that they're not considered too much. And I think it's the same with a lot of um, groups and disadvantaged areas in society, which is like it's opening the wind, our, our lenses up a little bit and seeing people yeah. for the dynamic contributions they're making. Yeah, but ultimately I think um, what you're saying is completely true, that uh, holding space is – it sounds simple, but it's actually incredibly dynamic and uh, and difficult skill, and particularly if you don't feel like that's an area of strength or expertise. And if, if you're saying you don't, you know, you feel like women hold space much better. Um, a lot of the work that we do, whether it's in Homeward Bound um, or with disability, is about the best way that you can hold space is to start in self responsibility. And that's that visibility to self piece of, of even if you're in a situation where, okay, I can see that woman is struggling, um, I'm going to ask her about that and see what I can do to help. The most important step that you can do first is what is actually going on for me in this moment before I ask her? Like what am I bringing into this situation and what's um, playing out for me in my own sense of values and um, struggle and vulnerability and if you can come at the any conversation around that from that place, um, you will be able to hold space and support someone so much more effectively. And they will feel that. Mm. They will feel that they are supported and it's safe for them to open up and ask for help or that type of thing. So um, please, that would be amazing if you could continue to do that. <laughs> I mean, holding space is so hard that one of the hardest things for me to learn as a precursor to that is, how just to not talk and hold silence mm -hmm. for a little bit longer yeah. than you might normally. Yeah. So one of, one of the key things is not like I suppose resisting the urge to just fire back rapid responses and feel silence. Yeah. And and anyone can teach themselves to do that better through active listening, and that means um, even being conscious of your body language and your facial expressions and your ability or your need to verbally affirm people when they're speaking. So if you just if you challenge yourself to hold a neutral face, not say uh-huh and yes, mm-hmm, uh-huh as someone is speaking, and not feel the need to jump in and say anything or give advice, you're, you'll be really improving your ability to hold space. Um, and, and from that coaching perspective, which a lot of people would be familiar with, asking great questions rather than giving advice is a fantastic way to practice that as well. Yeah, and maybe go for quality over quantity. So don't yes. ask every question. Just stay quiet most of the time and just yep. ask great questions. Yeah. I mean, the, I, the power of, of questions is one of the things that I'm, um, I use as a tool most in my work. I know for me, every single day, the minute my eyes open in the morning, I ask myself a question of how I want to go into that day. And that might be, you know, what does leadership look like in this difficult situation that I'm going mm. into today? Or um, how can I be more 
compassionate in my day-to-day or whatever it is. And I find that that then infuses my day. Um, But, you know, whether you're doing that to coach yourself or you're doing it to engage in some peer coaching with other people, um, the power of of questions and sitting in questions and sitting in often the discomfort of questions rather than even for yourself feeling like you have to fix something is quite a beautiful practice to engage in as well. And this brings me to something I want to ask you. As somebody who's very fit and healthy, your yoga practitioner, a, a new yoga coach, y- yoga, yeah, yeah, yep. So that's amazing. And <laughs> obviously, the, the full bottle of huge water. You know, you, you, you take very good care of yourself. So I want to know also as a coach, you know, what are you doing each day and each night as mm. part of your sort of self care, and, and yeah. what does a normal day and night look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably be embarrassed and terrified to actually divulge what happens every day for me for my self-care because I take it incredibly seriously. But uh, as a yogini, uh, we have this practice of sadhana, um, which is your own personalised practice that you develop each day. And for me, that means everything from um, having a little ritual when I wake up of washing my face and um, going through a few different practices that make me feel alive in the morning to um, a good 10 or 15 minutes of breath work, pranayama, which just makes me come alive and wakes up my brain and makes me feel amazing and then my own personal yoga practice. But I'm also a fan of um, lots of different tools during the day that just keep my energy up. So um I do quite a bit of qigong, which is, you know, lots of shaking of your body and getting up regularly. Um, And it doesn't have to be complicated, literally like patting your chest like a gorilla and getting the energy flowing around, patting your arms, patting your legs down, that type of thing. And I do that on retreats with clients as well so that, you know, if we're in in in-depth work, you can maintain your energy really well, Um, really quick, like even two five-minute walks around the block, it doesn't have to be half an hour. It doesn't have to be an hour. You can do that easily. Um, lots of breath work during the day. And then mini meditations as well. So there's great meditations on YouTube that go for three minutes. And it's amazing what you can do in that time just to reinvigorate yourself. Uh, I always do about 15 or 20 minutes of yoga, of meditation straight before bed, even in bed, lying down. It doesn't have to be a crazy practice. Um, but they're the things that keep me really grounded. Um, and that, you know, is a lot about the foundations of supporting other people as well. The, the thing about visibility and when, when you're a coach and a, a practitioner in an activist in this space is you really have to walk the talk and be visible to yourself and, and do it. And yeah. that's the hardest bit. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm lucky to be able to kind of practice it in my work every day. And what about your? So you talked about your nighttime wind down. What about um, mm. eating? And like, do you have any particular? Are you, mm. are you vegan? Are you eating everything? I'm not vegan. Um, I would love to be for sustainable reasons, but my body doesn't like it. Um, so I'm paleo. I'm gluten free, um, and I eat very cleanly, I suppose. Um, and. I, yeah, I do a lot of intermittent fasting as well. I find that really helps me. And I drink heaps of green juice and heaps of green smoothies. They're kind of two of my my core sustainable practices. Yeah. Are you doing 16-8 or 5-2 or variation? Um, I do. Uh, well, it's not, I don't really, it's not, a. I don't have it as a number or whatever, oh, sure, but sure. probably three times a week I would fast for 20 hours. That's amazing. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. amazing. I, so, I never feel, feel I never more feel more clear <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. than those days. But when... do you feel bloody starving as well? No, or you I don't, don't actually. Uh, I think you get used to it. Yeah. I did follow a program initially to get me used to it mm. and you know, just kind of twelve hours and fourteen hours and sixteen hours. And it really did work doing it slowly. Like I'm talking over a year building up, not not really quickly, um, but I have my best ideas and I feel the most amazing on those days where I'm fasting. And, and you know, it, you have to be careful as a woman though because hormones and it can, it can play. And if I don't feel like that, I know it's not a good day and I just eat and make myself feel good. That's awesome. Yeah. Look, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but I'm really keen to um, hear your thoughts. I mean, 
is coaching for everyone? Should, should people be thinking about having a coach? I, I note from my own podcast experience mm. that I would say most of the successful people who have been on the podcast, um, they're all successful because mm. they've been on the podcast, but, you know, mm. I'd say maybe 80% of them have either a good set of mentors or a coach yeah. or a coaching program in place. Mm. I just wanted your take on mm. how do you know when it's the right time to get a coach if people are nervous about that kind of thing? Um, I mean, I I don't see myself as a coach so much or, or at what we do as coaching um, necessarily because we're bringing in um, – strategy and a very holistic like range of different modalities into what we do um, which is really around elevating leadership and allowing people to step into leadership as a state of mind and leading anywhere that they can in their life and it not being professional and I feel like coaching's often put as a you know I'm a leader and I'm on this trajectory and I need to coach in order to get no, the next job and that kind of thing but I don't think so I sort yeah. of mean it more like I mean I guess the reason I said coaching is because you're doing both um, personal and life stuff and also work stuff yeah so yeah. but I think I mean I think it can come where I was going with that is that it can come in lots of different forms sure and for some people, the best support for them in that will be um, using the people that they already have in their life to be an amazing um, sounding board for them because they know them really well. For other people, they really need something independent and different thinking and to inject ideas into what they're doing. Mm. Um, and for other people, like a lot of the people that we see that are really trying to create a movement in the world, you need different thinking and uh, you need cheerleading in a way which is going to get that amazing idea out of you and, and out, you know, initially onto a piece of paper or a vision board um, and then activated out in the world. And I think what, what I do see is that for most people it they do need an accountability partner to get something really amazing off the ground. That's where it holds the most weight and that it's not actually about the things that you think it would be about. It's not like, okay, I've got these deliverables that I've got to get done by Friday. How do I, you know, my coach is going to whip whip my ass if I don't do that. It's more um, I'm having a crisis of not, having permission to lead this movement or something like that and needing to work through and articulate what's going on internally, that visibility to self-peace that, you know, really has the most value for people. So I say go and get it where you can find it and and find the right person for you, but that might that person might be in your life already. They might not. The most important thing is to identify what you feel you really need and what's lacking, and and understand. And there's there's a part of visibility to self even in that process. Like, what do I need? What's what's my strengths mm-hmm. and what is not? And how can I help to fill that gap to realize my purpose? And that's you know if you know what that niche is. Um, then there's lots of amazing people out in the world that can help with that, particularly in this space. That's so well said. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to connect with you to learn more about both Homeward Bound and Visibility Co and to hear more about you also. How can they do that? Uh, So me personally, I'm on a lot of the socials as Sarah is social. That's my handle. Um, Visibility Co, you can find at um, visibilityco.com and Homeward Bound is often across um, the the web as Homeward Bound Projects, so homewardboundprojects.com.au, Homeward Bound Projects on on social media. Wonderful. Thank you so much for dropping in. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.